is 836. Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. So like I was saying, I was at the baseball game last night, and it, it, was, a, it was a well-played game. The Brewers end up kind of choking it away. It was a tough loss. I'll give credit to the Cubs. There's no problem with that. I will say that Miller Park was about 60 to 70% Cubs fans, and I, I, I have... I go to a lot of games. Like I was saying earlier, um, I, I've gone to a lot of St. Louis games. It's it's really kind of a pleasure. You go to St. Louis games, there's a lot of Cardinal fans that come. They they travel well with the team. They are intelligent. They understand the, the game. They're there to have fun. And it's kind of fun to interact. I have not been to a Cubs-Brewers game at Miller Park for years. They opened against the Cubs on opening day several years ago. And we, we had a situation with a drunken female Cubs fan that my... My now 18-year-old niece still talks about, and I can't even tell that story on the radio. And I can remember going to one game, gosh, when Sammy Sosa was playing for him. So it's that far away. So last night, last night, my, my buddy gets tickets. We buy them on the secondary market. We're, we were in section 119, um, just which is on the third base side, just one section behind home plate. So, we, we you know, we paid for the tickets. We were surrounded by Cubs fans, which means Brewer season ticket holders, Sold, you know, their, their seats, and the Cubs fans just kind of gobbled them up, and that, that's that's fine. I mean, it's Brewers fans. I mean, really, it's a series that means a lot. You know, maybe you could go to the games, but that's okay. You know, they, they were there. But I will tell you seriously, collectively, and maybe individually, all these people are really, really nice people, but collectively. It was appalling. Matter of fact, I've just had a couple of people coming to me saying, yeah, we had that, that same experience. There were two of these guys behind us. They didn't shut up for the entire four hours. Every third word was the F word. Like I said, they were yelling at the beer guys. Oh, look at, look at how old the beer guy is. And, you know, just talking about, I mean, okay, okay, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series last year. Give them credit. But all right, it's the first time in a hundred years. It's not exactly like you are talking about a dynasty. Just like I say, collectively, I have never seen a larger group of horses' asses in my life in one place. 414-799-1620. Again, I partially blame us. I partially blame Brewers fans because at least where I was sitting, these were these were season ticket seats that people had sold on the secondary market, and the Cubs fans had, had grabbed them. But it was frustrating to be, you know, the Brewers in a pennant chase. And, again, it's 70% Cubs fans who, again, collectively – what an obnoxious group of people. 414-799-1620. Jim in McGuanago. Jim, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Take my call. Yes, sir. I'm glad you this subject. Okay, my brother was in a rather high position with Sears when they left the tower and decided to stay in the Chicago area. And that triggered his decision to leave Sears because he couldn't stand Chicago anymore. <laughs> he said, everybody in Chicago makes money, so they think it gives them a license to be rude crude and lewd. <laughs> well, that that kind of describes the people that I was sitting in front of yesterday. Rude, crude, and lewd. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it, no, no, thanks. I mean, again, and, okay, so I, I, here, Jeff, you sound like a sore loser. The Brewers lost one. Get over it and quit your crying. It's not about the Brewers losing, and it's not about the Cubs team. I. That's not the point. It, the point is, just collectively, I mean, I, I guess... I want to say, at least from a perspective, now, now maybe that's what being fan support is all about. Hey, we travel well, we support our team. No, it's not about it. Give the Cubs credit. The Brewers choked away that game. Give them credit for winning. I am talking about from the first pitch to the last out, the rude, crude, and like you say, lewd 
behavior of these people who come up from Chicago. And I don't believe Brewer fans would be like that. I just, I just don't. Mitch and Sturgeon Bay writes, these guys make Bears fans look like Einsteins. Their one championship in 108 years. Smugness triple, trickles down from their manager. They play in an archaic park and rec facility, by the way. I, again, I, I don't, I mean, the team won. I mean, they won the world championship. I, I get it. And the Brewers certainly had their chances last night. Now, that did make it worse because it made, like, again, the smug jerks that we were surrounded by, it just kind of emboldened them. I mean, they were yelling at the beer guy. I mean, really, they're mocking the beer guy because, you know, he was, I don't know, I, as, as I get older, everybody starts to look younger, you know how that is? But, I mean, okay, they, they, were, they were screaming at the beer guy and making fun of him because of his age. That's, and that's one of the stories I can tell on the radio. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Zach in Milwaukee. Zach, you're on 620 WTMJ. How you doing this morning? Hi, Zach. I think we as Brewer fans, when we go to the game, we want to enjoy a game, but we know what's going to happen when Chicago comes to town, so we just rather not deal with it. We, yeah. we give up our tickets. I mean, we want to enjoy baseball. Yeah, plus plus the Chicago people will overpay. So I mean, I, I I get it. You can. I don't even know what we paid for the tickets last night because my buddy picked them up. Thank you, Evan. Um, so I don't even know what we we paid for them. But I'm sure we were paying. I mean, a premium price for this. And I think, and of course, obviously the Cubs fans do it. So it's just I I, I get it. I don't want to fault Brewers fans, but it was frustrating to sit. You know, at this point in the season, and just be surrounded by Chicago Cubs fans, especially Zach, Absolutely. when they're as obnoxious as they are. Oh yeah, but we know that's what it's going to be when Chicago comes to town. When on the other hand, we go to Chicago, we we act like baseball fans. Right, right. There is a degree of class. See that that's exactly it. I mean, it's kind of like you just want to say to some of these people, "Hey, just show a little bit of class." I understand rooting for your team. I understand supporting your team. I I think it's great that you travel, but. I mean, you want to talk about, again, collectively, individually, I'm sure they're all really nice people, but collectively you get a bunch of Cubs fans together, you put them in Miller Park, you watch them guzzle old-style beer for a while, and they were selling old-style, and you've got the largest collection of jerks imaginable. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I just, I, I mean, it, uh, uh, let's talk to, um, let's see, Rod in Milwaukee. Rod, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, yeah. You finally know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Well, well, and good morning to you, Rod. How are you doing? <laughs> okay. I used the shuttle for uh, um, the Brewers for the handicap, and you knew between the St. Louis Cardinals and when the Cubs were gone. It was so obvious. I'd get a call to go pick up somebody out in the lot, and I'd get out there, and when the Cubs were in town, and they would refer to, where have you been? I've been waiting here over half an hour. My God, man. And then when St. Louis were in, you get a call, and you go there and pick them. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, we so appreciate it. My dad can help you walk. It was so nice of you. It was just the opposite. Well, right, exactly, and that, that's the contrast. So, like I say, I mean, I that's why I want to start this off because I, I do go to, you know, I, I go to a lot of games at Miller Park. There's some teams that travel really, really well, and, I mean, the Cardinals are a classic example of that, and they're a big rival of the Brewers, but it's kind of fun to sit around Cardinal fans, and they appreciate good baseball, and, you know, you can give, you know, good-natured uh, going back and forth. I mean, honest to goodness, I just last night, the crowd I was around with, you almost thought they would have cleared out the prison in Joliet and had a field trip up here <laughs> i mean what thanks for calling it it, it it just it just is these guys behind we're going to go over to potawatomi get us some hookers i mean oh my god all right good 
Um, let's see. I am a huge Brewers fan. 25 or more games a year. I refuse to go to any of the games with the Cubs for the reasons you cited. More upsetting than fun. Friends couldn't believe I would miss this series. You know, th- this is this is why. Um, <laughs> well, uh, again, um, it's just I, I, I get it. It's the nature of, of the beast. I had not been to a Cubs a Cubs Brewers game in Miller Park for a long time, and I kind of remember why. Now I understand. Now some people are calling in and they're sending texting. Well, you should have complained to the ushers. Okay, you you don't understand the environment. I mean, what are the ushers going to do? Throw out two thirds of the audience? I mean, seriously. I mean, it, at some point in time, these, these loudmouths behind us. There were four Brewers fans behind them, and they started getting into it towards the end of the game because the Brewers fans had kind of had enough. Now I. I understand that, you know, when you've got the people that are foul-mouthed and doing that, you're supposed to complain to the ushers, but um, it, that's not what the environment was. It's, I mean, I, I'm sure the ushers would have been overwhelmed as um, overwhelmed as well. In any event, um, that was – okay, here's Jeff and Fox Point says. They're not only jerks collectively. Many are jerks individually. I know because I used to work with two of them. They are so bad that I purposely avoid Illinois as much as possible. As my dad used to say, Chicago is a good place to be from. All right. All right. I mean, I, I, I have now vented. I have, and I admit I'm a little bit irritable because the Brewers ended up losing. And this is not – I give credit to the Cubs for winning the game. Um, so, I mean, that that's not – it has nothing to do with on the field. It's just collectively. And I used to say, hey, come on up here. They spend money. It's good. And I guess they spend money, and, and that's good. But I'm telling you, it's uh, – it's kind of a free-for-all. So if you are a Brewers fan and you're going to the games tonight or tomorrow afternoon or Sunday, um, just just be prepared. It's 845. Three Big Things is coming up next. Stick around. It's 849. Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ. Would a state-by-state health care system be what's best for the nation? Or would that only complicate things? Scopedian Bill Stat, tee that up for debate. 1235 here on WTMJ. All right, my Twitter. You can follow me on on Twitter, it's Jeff Wagner 620. Let's see. Ryan sends me a tweet. What you are talking about is why I avoid Cubs games at Milwaukee. I would sell my season tickets to those games at a profit. It helped pay for the package. Yeah, and I get it. I understand a lot of people are doing that. It's just, I tell you, it's just you're selling them to jerks. Uh, Lisa says, I couldn't agree with you more. Cubs fans are the absolute worst. Hate it when they come to Milwaukee. Yeah, this idea that... Oh, these are these pleasant little sweet fans, and like it, it's a great feel-good story because they didn't win for a hundred years. Nuts to that. Uh, uh, let's see. Dan says the trick is to win. I was at a White Sox game years ago, and there were three obnoxious White Sox fans acting like bad professional wrestlers. Then the Brewers scored a bunch of runs, and I thought, gee, I wonder how the White Sox foul fans like that. Guess what? Three empty seats. Yeah, there, there's no question. If the Brewers had had a big inning, if this had been like six to nothing, you, you know, all these drunken louts would have been. You Know, moving on to the bar or whatever. Let's see. All right, here's an interesting one. I agree with you 100%. As a Cubs fan who loves Miller Park, I am bar- embarrassed by the idiotic, drunk idiots that you have to put up with. I refuse to go to the Bears games for the same reason. Bears fans are just as rude and belligerent. And did I mention drunk? Well, there is something to be said about that. But um, in, in any event, um, if you're a Brewers fan, go out. they got three games against the Cubs this weekend. Just, again, be be. Be prepared for all sorts of rude behavior. and they, they were heckling the beer man because they thought he was too old. Really. I mean, that's, that's what was going on. All right.
We start off today's program when we're not obsessed with, like, bad behavior at the ballpark. We start off today's program, like we start off every program, with three big stories. Big story number one, and it is a big story. North Korea shows no signs of backing down to the United States. Earlier this week, President Trump gave a speech in front of the United Nations. He called out North Korea as a rogue nation. He said, if North Korea attacks the U.S. or its allies, we will destroy North Korea. Some of the liberal hand-ringers were saying, oh, this is just this, this belligerent thing. We should be talking. We should be negotiating. And, of course, the problem with that is we have tried negotiations with North Korea for decades now. I mean, this and it hasn't worked. It, it hasn't worked. Obviously, you want to try to work out peaceful solutions. But at some point in time, you know, you have to, if people aren't willing to negotiate or negotiate in good faith, what, what are you going to end up doing? So North Korea, the leader of North Korea, uh, comes out and he has some tough talk of his own yesterday. He talks about how President Trump is mentally, the quote is, a mentally deranged dotard. I have not heard that word um, in a long, long time, which then sent everybody you know, running to the dictionaries to see, okay, what, what does that word mean? And it, really, it means senile. It is essentially, essentially what it means is, is senile. But that's somebody who is senile. You know, that's what he was saying. All right, so, so fine. You've got you know, the war of the words going back and forth. But here's where it becomes even more worrisome. North Korea said earlier today, that they are prepared to detonate a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean um, in what they call the highest level of hardline countermeasure in history. Now, the, the, the North Koreans have done bomb tests. They are trying to, again, become a nuclear power so they can, I don't know what, destroy Japan, destroy South Korea, lob missiles at the U.S., and they're advancing. They're advancing faster than a lot of people thought. But what they have done in the past, that, that the tests that they have done on, in this case, the hydrogen bomb, they've done testing before, but they've never detonated, they've never tested a nuclear device beyond their own borders. So they've always done it, you know, within the confines of North Korea. Now they're saying, we're going to start doing it over the ocean. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Were North Korea to actually follow through with this and detonate or test a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean, this would be a huge escalation of what is already an enormous crisis. If North Korea were to do this, how should the United States respond? I will give you my answer, and we will discuss. 414-799-1620. What do you think? If they really follow through with this, can we let them do it? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 855 Jeff Wagner. It's 858 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is a big deal. There has not been an above-ground test of a hydrogen bomb in decades. North Korea has tested six hydrogen, six potential nuclear devices. They've all done it underground. Now they're saying, we're going to do it over the Pacific Ocean. We can't let them do it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, we, we cannot. This is, I think, at some point... 
um, we end up having to respond. And by the way, I think if they do this, this may be the straw, I hate to use the cliche, that breaks the camel's back. But Russia and China, I don't think they're going to allow North Korea to do this as well. On our text line, um, let's see. Good morning from Greenfield. Good morning to you. Um, if North Korea does this, we have to respond in such a way that they will never cross us again. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, do we really want a crazy person who is doing something like this? Uh, and that's what the risk that you end up, you know, running for. And I understand there's a lot of people that are out there saying, do you really want to go to war with North Korea? No, you don't want to go to war with North Korea. Of course, nobody wants to go to war. But at the same time, when you've got a tin pot dictator who is trying to develop nuclear capability for his rogue nation so he can threaten South Korea, so he can threaten Japan, so he can threaten the west coast of the United States. Do you really want to? Do you really want to take the chance that we can shoot down a ballistic missile? Do you really want to take that chance? If you know anybody that lives in California, it's eight fifty nine. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's nine oh nine. I'm Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Okay, Jane. Now, this demonstrates to me what a very, very classy professional person you are, and oh. I mean because. I make mistakes all the time and just blast ahead. <laughs> I, I, I do. I make mistakes all the time and just kind of like 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 blast ahead. But um, you, you wanted to come on the air and just clarify something that happened earlier today. I did. Uh, earlier this morning on Wisconsin's Morning News, we were talking about this is one of my favorite events. It's Doors Open Milwaukee. It's tomorrow and Sunday. Your chance to get into 170 different buildings uh, in the Milwaukee area that you normally don't get to go snoop around in. And it makes me really excited because I love I'm a nosy person, naturally. Um, You're the one that like when you go over to people's houses, you in the bathroom, you're in their medicine cabinets. I don't. <laughs> but I'm but I'm always curious to see how they've set things up and stuff like that. Anyway, regardless, um, one of my favorite tours, because I have done this in the past, is the Jones Island tour, because it's a great equalizer, Jeff. It's something we all have in common. <laughs> and then it's a really interesting tour, and you learn a lot about the, the treatment process and all that stuff. And at the end of it, they give you a bag of Malorganite. And so I was telling everyone to go do the Jones Island tour this weekend for as part of Doors Open, and then we got a call about 25 minutes ago, and they pointed out that this year Jones Island is not on the Doors Open tour. Uh, okay. So you can't go, and I apologize for getting that wrong. I just assumed Because it uh, had been in the past. Because it had been in the past, but apparently this year it's not. I never realized that BD is producing the show today. She, she's a nosy person. Can you imagine? You know, I, I did that commercial. I just I thought it was one of my favorite ones that they used to. You, you know, you want to was whatever it was for. You want to get away. Was it Southwest Airlines or whatever? And it is. It's the the woman who's like in the like she's visiting her friend and she's in the bathroom and she opens up the medicine cabinet and then all of a sudden all the oh, all this all stuff falls, falls out. out. You know, and it's gonna so busted. You, you want to get away and stuff. Okay, so Jones Island not part of this open doors thing. Not okay, this year. good enough. You know, it is a very cool thing um, to get a chance to get. Behind the scenes of of stuff, it's just always very cool, and so Jane is right. Participate in doing that. All right, um, we're in the middle of our three big things. This is big story number two. Oh, by the way, but before that, we've got a topic coming up. We're going to do it perhaps at the end of the nine o'clock hour, maybe at the start of the ten o'clock hour, depending on how things go. Um, it, it's it it is a video that has gone viral. It is a woman who objects to a veteran with PTSD bringing his service dog into a restaurant. And it, it raises th- this larger issue about, you know, you know should, should people be able to bring animals in, into restaurants? And that's the aspect I want to talk about. But it is an incredible video 
And um, we, we have it posted. And again, I'm, I'm going to describe this. Uh, I'll describe it so we can talk about it. But if you would like to see the video, it runs about three minutes. And then, of course, now the woman is explaining why she was out of control. And she's making some claims that I think are just a complete lie. But we'll talk about that as well. But if you want to see this video, now I have to give you a warning. Um, lots of bad words in it. Um, she's clearly out of control. She's speaking like a Cubs fan and using lots of bad words. So I can't even play some of the clip on. I, I you know, with it's very difficult to play it on the radio. So I'm not going to. But if you want to see the clip before we talk about this, if you simply text the word "dog" D O G to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. We will we'll send you a link to the story with the clip in it. Uh, again, lots of bad words adult language contained in there. But if you want to get a chance to view what we're going to be talking about in about 45 minutes, text the keyword DOG, D-O-G, to 414-799-1620. If you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 um, also we've I, I've sent that out as well, the link to the story. But we're going to be talking about that in a little while, but I did want to give you a heads up on it. All right, like I said earlier, we are in the middle of our three big things segment. This is big thing number two, and I had to put it in the middle, and I couldn't start off the program with it because it's one of these that just makes my head explode, and it is so just incredibly aggravating and so incredibly frustrating, but we need to discuss it. Um, Last Friday, 60-year-old delivery man gunned down about 9.30 at night as he was delivering, you know, pizzas on, on like, 92nd, the 92nd, 9200 block of North 75th Street. Um, the district attorney's office has now issued criminal charges against the two people that they believe were involved in the murder of the delivery driver. One is the person that they believe was the shooter, um, is is 17 years old, not going to be 18 until December. Um, he allegedly was wearing one of the Jason masks, you know, from Friday the 13th, like the hockey goalie mask type of thing, um, when he robbed and shot this 60-year-old delivery man. Um, his cousin has been charged with felony murder and armed robbery. And it appears that these two had been involved. This was the second robbery of a delivery driver at gunpoint that they had engaged in in the space of like a couple of days. But but here's here's the criminal complaint. And I, I have it in, in my hands. And like I say, the, the shooter, the alleged murderer, is 17 years old. So here's the deal. The, the driver worked for a place called Buddy's Pizza. So September 15th, the restaurant gets a call a little bit before 8 o'clock ordering a large amount of food to be delivered to this apartment building on, again, in the 9200 block of North 76th Street. Um, so the call comes in at 745. Now get this. Ten minutes later, a call was placed to the restaurant and a caller asks if their delivery drivers carry guns. So the, the first call orders a boatload of food. Ten minutes later, there's another call. They don't identify themselves as being the same person, but they call back and they say, I'm just curious, do your delivery drivers carry guns? Um, the restaurant says, no, they, they don't. But then the restaurant calls their delivery drivers and says, hey, we just got this really weird call. You better be um, careful about this. All right. 
So there's the one guy, he's 60 years old, he works part-time delivering pizzas. So what he does is, is he goes over, he delivers the pizzas. Now, this is what happens to the criminal complaint. Apparently, there's somebody um, who's walking by. They see the delivery driver um, standing by the entrance doors inside the building. Um, they hear a second voice uh, talking to the person who was there. Then he hears a, a gunshot. And when he gets outside, he sees a group of people. and They tell him that the pizza delivery guy had been um, shot. The 17-year-old issues a statement, and you know, and I'm I'm looking at the statement as it's contained in the criminal complaint. Um, first, he denies any sort of knowledge uh, of this. No, I don't know anything about this at all. And then they tell him, "Oh, well, by the way, you know, um, we've got a security video from the building, and you know, we we we've seen stuff and we've recovered sort of stuff." And then the guy says, "Well, um, here here's the deal. He was uh, yes." He had ordered the pizza. He had planned. This is a 17-year-old. He had planned this as a robbery. He said that uh, the, the victim, the victim jumped at him, and that he pulled the trigger um, point blank range. He said that he thought that the safety was on. He didn't really mean to shoot him when he popped out wearing the ho- wearing the Jason the, from the Friday Thirteenth movies, um, wearing the hockey mask, and, and pulled the trigger. He said, "Well, it just it just kind of happened. I didn't mean to do it." Um, according to the criminal complaint, again, and the police reports, after they murder the man, they eat the food. They eat the food. Uh, the guy says, um, it was my idea to rob the driver. Um, he said that uh, the ju- juvenile female he was with was not aware of the robbery, thought he was going to pay for the pizza. But, of course, somebody called up the place, ordered all the food, and then called back a little bit later and said, hey, do, do your delivery drivers carry guns? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accent Mortgage talk and text line. Like I say, the robbery um, also occurred. They, there was another pizza delivery driver which was robbed but not murdered a couple days earlier. So it appears that this has been what these people were doing. Did I mention the kid is 17 who shot this 60-year-old man in cold blood? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. This is such an aggravating story on so many different levels. But but let's let's start here. The reason the bad guys apparently, or at least one of the reasons they targeted this particular location and this restaurant and this delivery service is they had called up to verify that the drivers weren't allowed to carry firearms. Presumably, if they were this would not have happened, or at least they might have thought twice about it. So on the mean streets of Milwaukee, given that you have 17-year-olds who have such little regard for life that they are actually planning how to do this, and they are apparently willing to shoot and kill. And seriously, how much money can you get from a delivery driver for pizza? I mean, you know, how much money can they possibly have on them? Ten bucks, twenty bucks, thirty bucks. I mean, how much money can they possibly have? This demonstrates how cheap life is. I guess I have two points. First of all, number one, if I was a delivery driver in the city of Milwaukee, there is no way, no way, I would work at that job unless I was allowed to carry a firearm. 
period. I think it should almost be mandatory that they carry guns to at least be able to protect themselves. Number two, the idea, and I've said this before, I I think what is going to end up having to happen is the rules are going to have to be under no circumstances do delivery drivers get out of their cars because that's when all this happens. Now, I understand you can be robbed. You know, if you're sitting in your car, but that's where you're most vulnerable. You get out of the car. If you're at least in the car, you've got a yes. Can somebody stick a gun in your face and try to carjack you? But you've at least got an opportunity to floor it on the gas or you've got a better chance of defending yourself. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is an unfortunate commentary, but I think delivery drivers need to arm themselves or at least seriously consider that. And I think you need to get away from the idea that the driver is ever going to get out of the car how would you work it yeah you say okay you want food give us the number to call once we get in front we will call the number you come out to us and give us the money i mean is does that make sense can we continue to allow this type of stuff to happen 414-799-1620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line this is big story number two we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 920 jeff wagner 620 wtmj Nine twenty-three, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us um, tonight. Our Preps Live high school football coverage spotlights a battle in the Classic Eight Conference as Oconomowoc visits Heartland Arrowhead. You can catch our coverage at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app starting at six forty this evening. Dave on the South Side, Dave, you're on six twenty, WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, my part-time job is uh, pizza delivery guy too, and that. It's against policy to carry a weapon, and if if a manager finds out about that, then you, you automatically fire Jeff. Right. And that's throughout the whole pizza system. So I guess the yeah. question is, should they change? Right, and I know that's the rule a lot of places have. Um, would you, do you think that you should? They're not going to change it no matter what, because that's, that's because they say you're you're in danger of they'll pull the weapon away from you, mm-hmm. and you'll, you'll get uh, killed anyway. So well, I, I mean, I get ra- that sort of rationale is that 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I I understand that's I understand that that's the that's the rationale. That's not much comfort when you are sending drivers into high crime areas where you have seventeen year olds that are that are, are are plotting these robberies. And then, of course, the, the other bizarre thing about this is. That, that, again, they, somebody orders a whole bunch of food to that location, and then 10 minutes later a call comes in saying, do your drivers carry guns? Hmm. Now that, and, and I guess apparently, if I'm reading criminal complaint correctly, they, they called a couple of the drivers and told them that, that this guy who got killed did not get that call. But, again, it, it's, I mean, the larger point is this is clearly the thought process that some people are going through, and that does tell me that these robbers were concerned that a driver might be armed and might be in a position of defending themselves, so they were making sure that the pizza delivery drivers, in this case the food delivery driver, wasn't armed because they knew or they thought he would be easy picking. Now, again, I, I'm not – I just – at some point in time, and I my heart goes out to all these people who are trying to make a little bit of extra money, you know, providing the service, and I understand the businesses have to offer the service as well, but at some point in time, do we get to the conclusion that it, it's just – it is unsafe – to do this at all then this i mean how much money could they have gotten from this guy and they ate the food after they murdered him seth in green bay seth you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning jeff you know i think it's, it's 
shortly going to get to the point where people need to have to decide is their life more important than their job. And I know there's so many company policies that are against having a firearm, but if it's me and I'm going to be delivering pizza in a dangerous area, forget about the company policy. I'm going to I'm going to carry that gun. I mean, heaven forbid you have to use it. Right. But at the same time, if you do. You pull it out and you use it. And if that's going to save my life and cost me my job, so be it. But right. if people devalue human life so much, then forget about them. I'm going to I'm going to defend well, myself all day long. Well, well, exactly. Uh, I mean, because and again, it, I mean, yes, it, that that's that's the thing, and that's why I think these employers need to kind of rethink this particular position because you are putting in this particular case the decision that their drivers do not carry firearms and I don't know if that's the policy of this particular restaurant and I get why they do it but that policy is one of the things that in my opinion led to this guy getting robbed and and you see it very clearly now like I say I think that there's a, a lot of other things that that operate here, and, and you, I have to look at the bigger problem. I, I said maybe, maybe you just say the delivery driver carries absolutely no cash, and that all the transactions have to be held prepaid with credit cards. Period. You know that that's it. Um, that's kind of a tough sort of situation because some people don't carry credit cards. That's why you come up with the middle ground, which is what my idea is. You just never leave the car. You know, give us the number. Once we're there, we'll call. You have to come out to us. Yes, we know it's more inconvenient, but you know what? You know, we're not going to be standing in a doorway of an apartment where some 17-year-old punk wearing a hockey mask um, jumps out and sticks a gun in somebody's, well, he shot him in the torso, killed him. A 60-year-old man dead, 17-year-old who says, well, I didn't know the gun was going to go off. I'm sorry. You point a gun at somebody, point-blank range during a robbery. In my opinion, you go to prison and you stay there for the rest of your life because this guy is never going to see another sunrise. It is a horrible situation. And, again, it, it demonstrates, again, the out-of-control crime that we have in the city. It's unfortunate that you even have to start talking about things like this. But how many more of these delivery drivers are going to have to get robbed? or killed before we recognize there is a big-time problem. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, we've got our third big thing of the day, the state budget. And if you want to see the video of the customer from you-know-where, just text the word DOG, D-O-G, to 414-799-1620. We're going to talk about that as well. It's 928. Nine thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. He's the CEO of one of the nation's largest charitable organizations, and it's located right here in Milwaukee. Get the details today during Scafidi and Bill Stats Friday Forum that begins at two o'clock this afternoon. Okay, big story number three. It was two plus months late. That is the state budget. It was supposed to be finished by July. Finally, it got done. There was lots of going back and forth, and I have been critical of some in the legislature for the foot dragging. A lot of times the reason you have a budget that doesn't get done is because you have gridlock, whether it's in 
federal level or on the state level. Maybe you have the Democrats or the Republicans that control one house of the legislature. The Democrats control the other. Um, and so you can't get things done. In Wisconsin, the Republicans control everything. You've got a very, very strong governor, that is Scott Walker. You have 20 of the 33 members of the state Senate who are Republicans. You have 60-some members of the 99-seat state assembly who are Republicans. So you've got overwhelming majorities. And yet the Republicans couldn't get together between the houses. And you had all this back and forth over transportation spending. In any event, all's well that ends well. And finally, you got the budget, the legislature, the assembly passed it, the state senate, after um, a couple state senators decided to try to hold it up, ultimately 19 of the 20 Republican state senators voted for it. One guy out of the town of Vernon just decided to vote no because he likes to vote no on things. But, But in general, I think you have a very, very good document. Yesterday, Governor Walker signed the budget into law. And he had 99 separate vetoes. We have a very powerful veto. The governor has a lot of power with regard to his ability to veto. He doesn't have to just veto entire provisions. He can, you know, veto lines. He can't veto letters. We used to have what they called the Vanna White, um, you know, like the the letter turner from Wheel of Fortune. It used to be that a, a governor had the ability to, like, veto letters in words to create new words. We, we can't do that anymore, but he still has broad power. In any event, he issued 99 separate vetoes, taking some things out, and the state Senate, the leader of the state Senate, Scott Fitzgerald, says nobody's going to challenge this. I mean, theoretically, you could go back and you could try to override the governor's vetoes, but he says the state Senate's not going to do it. And if the state Senate's gonna, not going to do it, that means the state assembly's not going to do it. So this is the law. It is a two-year, $76 billion budget. And Democratic heads are exploding. Oh, this is just terrible. You know, we're, we're not spending enough. We're not um, we're not raising taxes enough to get, uh, again, the, the roads fixed correctly. I will tell you this. I think this, and I said this when Governor Walker first proposed it, this, this is a very, very strong budget. It is a good conservative budget. But what it does is it recognizes that a lot of the things that we have been doing in Wisconsin since Act 10 have been working. And this is one of the things that I think has been so refreshing because one of the promises when Governor Walker took over was, look, we're, we've got to get the state's finances in order. And that means that there's not going to be increases in spending. I don't even know that it's fair to describe some of this stuff as cuts, but there's not going to be increases in spending for certain things. And then you had all, all this, we're, you know, we're choking off higher education, all that. But one of the things that the governor always promised was once things turn around, you know, we're going to start, you know, spending money again. And this is an amazing budget, $76 million, $600 million more for K-12 schools. It cuts property tax. It maintains a freeze on the University of Wisconsin system tuition. Um, it's just, it is a winner all up and down. Now, I understand that, you know, some people are going to say, well, let, let's, let's pick out this provision or that provision and let's end up criticizing it. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, you're going to be able to find individual items that you know you don't like. Democrats are challenging Walker for zeroing in on tax cuts. And, of course, what happens with tax cuts is 
in order to get your tax cut, you have to pay taxes. And so inevitably, if you do across-the-board tax cuts, the people that pay the most in taxes are going to arguably get the most of the reduction. Because if you don't pay very much or you pay almost nothing, well, it's tough to, you know, if you're only paying $100, for example, it's tough to cut your taxes too much because then you're not going to be paying any taxes at all. So, I mean, I, I think... The, the question is, if you look at this budget, and once people understand it, and once people see the money that is going into the school system, um, you know, you're, people are going to like it. And the truth of the matter is, this is one of these budgets that gets Wisconsin, again, growing again. I understand it's an election year, and I understand that there's some people who are going to have to be like the naysayers and stuff, but this is about as good as we could have expected. And the truth of the matter is, you know, if all the other 49 states were able to come out with a budget like this, uh, this country would be in a lot better shape. So this is, it's a winner all around, and I understand, like I say, there's going to be the naysayers out there. This is a good budget. Um, The legislature took a while to get it done. That's why you don't like to see sausage being made. But now that it's done, I think it's going to be very, very, did I say very, good for the state of Wisconsin. Okay, coming up next, if you want to see the video of what we are talking about, you can text the word DOG, D-O-G, to 414-799-1620. Let me give you a warning. Um, Bad language in this particular video um, we're going to discuss. I'll tell you all about it. It's 941. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. NET.com. And that's your AccuNet Mortgage Minute. We'll see you next week. It's 9.45, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Okay, this video, I hate the phrase gone viral because that's that's such a cliche. But this is a video that has gone viral. Here's the deal. It involves involves a, a little restaurant called Kathy's Crab House and Family Restaurant um, in Delaware. And um, what what happened, and I, again, if, if you want to see the video of this encounter, you can text the word DOG, D-O-G, to 414-799-1620. So there's this woman who is in the, the restaurant, and apparently what happens is that a group of people come in, and one is a, a military veteran, and he's got with him he's got a, a great dane and the great dane it, it's it's a it's a service dog the dane great dane has a a vest and it reads ptsd service dog so this isn't a situation where the person is i, I think you know trying to, to to smuggle their pot belly pig onto a plane and a service pig or something like that it's it, it's it's a service dog and they allow they allow the dog, and it's, of course, you know, under the law, um, the the dog, I, I think, has a right to be in the the restaurant. Now, it's a little bit unclear whether this dog was officially certified as a service animal in Delaware. Which, if it was officially certified as a service animal, the restaurant would have no choice but to allow this in. I mean, you, you can't just bring pets in necessarily, but. Um, it's unclear, but in any event, the restaurant's owners, 
you know, make the decision. Here, here's the guy, and he says PTSD, and the dog is, again, it's got that harness on it. And the restaurant's owners say, okay, fine, we're going to allow, um, you know, we're going to allow this, you know, to, to happen. So the dog um, comes in um, and is in the restaurant while the people are, are eating. This woman um, just goes nuts that the dog is in the restaurant. Um, you know, she's upset that she's sitting at a table eating at the, you know, eating at the, the family at, at this restaurant and the dog's at the table next to her. Now, she says, look, um, I, she gets upset. She says, I don't think this dog should be allowed in the restaurant. I think there should be a separate section for animals in, in restaurants and that I don't think I should have to eat with this dog. If you want to allow dogs in the restaurant, that's your decision, but you should put them somewhere else. And then the lady, I think it would be fair to say, um, she just goes absolutely nuts. She starts screaming at people, including the guy who is holding the leash of the Great Dane, wearing the vest indicating it's a PSD service, PS, PTSD service dog. And then every third word that comes out of her mouth, well, she kind of sounds like a Cubs fan. It, it's this bad word. And, and she's screaming about how awful the restaurant is. At one point in time, then somebody starts videoing it. And that's the video that's gone viral. It's this three-minute video. And it's gone up there, and a lot of people are now starting to comment on it. After being called out, the woman now says, well... Um, I would. She, she's African American. She says, "Well, it's you know this isn't captured on the this isn't captured on the video, but um, you know they they use they they use racial slurs to me now in the video." She's not complaining about racial slurs. She's out of control complaining about the dog in the restaurant, and in my opinion, she is lying about the racial slurs because again. She's just completely out of control and screaming. And if somebody had said something racial to her, my guess is if you watch this video, she would have included that in her rant. I think this is just something that she manufactured after the fact. But the interesting question to me is her complaint about this restaurant making the decision to allow these service animals in. Now, again, it's unclear as to whether it's an official service dog, which would guarantee that it had the right to come in, or whether this is just a restaurant's policy. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I want to discuss. Does she have a point? Now, admittedly, she is expressing this in a psychotic faction. But, I mean, does she have a point? Should the restaurant not allow service animals in should they not allow dogs in or if they're going to allow dogs to come into the restaurant should they have to put them in a separate area i mean does she have a legitimate complaint with the restaurant or is this her problem 414-799-1620 when we come back i'll tell you where i come down on this and we'll discuss if you're on the line please hold on and if you want to see the the video adult language warning text dog to 414-799-1620 and we'll send you the link It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMG. You watch this video, and it's amazing. This woman just completely freaks out in this restaurant, screaming at everybody because there's a veteran with a, a, a PTSD service dog. Whether it's an officially certified service dog or not it is, is up in the air. But the restaurant allows the dog in. This woman freaks out about this. Let's talk to Dan in New Berlin. Dan, you're on 6.20 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, now, to answer your question, 
about should animals be allowed into restaurants. I absolutely uh, agree with that. Um, you know, I think it shows a sign of respect, um, especially in this case. But I do, I do want to make one comment uh, quick, and then I'll hang up. Um, you know, I look at all these stories across the board, and even this morning, this story, and this lady's freaking out about a dog. You know, 95% of the time, I feel like people freak out over little things, but it's not about the dog in the restaurant. We, and I'm not condoning her behavior, but I'm simply saying we don't know what's going on in her life. And she could be really high, strung, and stressed out because of some major thing going on in her life. And so she took it out on this yeah. one incident, you know. And we, yeah, or she I could just like, be she could just be bat crap crazy, and and yeah, yeah I get it, right? Or, no, or, or, I, right? No, I no, I, I mean, I I guess I I understand, and but at, at the same time. I just, as I get older, I just have less and less tolerance for bad behavior. See, here, here's the deal. I think if the restaurant, and, and again, as long as they're not violating Board of Health rules. Now, in Wisconsin, for example, there are rules with regard to where pets, unless they are uh, officially designated as you know service animals covered by the ADA, um, there are there are rules as to what you know what restaurants whether restaurants can allow them in or not but assuming that you are not violating some board of health rule for example i i think it's up to the restaurant and if if you and look i mean i i understand maybe people don't like animals i get it you know maybe they think it's unsanitary but if she's not violating if the restaurant isn't violating a board of health rule my response to the woman is if you don't like the fact that they're allowing the veteran with the dog to come in the restaurant go somewhere else I mean, there's nothing that says you have to eat at a particular place. I mean, just just leave. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Steve and Racine. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I, well, put it this way. I'm a Lions member down here, and I know that there are service dogs for many, many different conditions, whether it's hearing impaired, visually impaired, uh, PTSD, uh, there's a number of them. Right, and so, there's, a, there's a difference under the law between service animals, which has a specific de- de- uh, definition within the Americans with Disabilities Act, and what they call emotional support animals or, or comfort dogs. So, I mean, the law gets a little bit unclear, but still, if the restaurant wants to let them in, the re- doesn't the restaurant have a right to let them in? They do. And the only condition, the only thing I could say about for the woman is if she had an allergy if she there are people that are allergic to animals we all know cats and dogs right and if there are people that are allergic to dogs then maybe the the they should mention it to the owner or the restaurant should have a specific place away just not even a specific place but just away from the rest of the the patrons just to make sure that you know no allergies are activating and people are uncomfortable well right and see, that, yeah but, and yeah. Stephen, i mean i understand and see, i understand that that aspect of it and but but again first of all if you look at this reaction it is just so completely and totally over the top and then like i say the lady plays the race card a little bit later on and i don't 
I don't believe that. You know, later on, after this has gone viral and, you know, she looks like an idiot, now she's out there saying, well, somebody issued a racial slur, and everybody's saying, no, they didn't, and she's not making any references to the thing. I, I It's just, I mean, I guess there's two aspects of the story. First of all, I think it's the restaurant's right. Uh, again, even if, regardless of whether they're required to do this under the law or not, they say they, they were. That's in their interpretation of the law. But even, even so, like I say, all right, it, it's the restaurant's decision. If you don't like this, I get it. I understand some people don't like to, some people are freaked out about dogs. This was a Great Dane. It's a big dog. I understand maybe she doesn't want to sit in a restaurant where there is a Great Dane. I get it. Go somewhere else. It's 9.58. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. So let's review the bidding. So far in the first hour and a half of the program, we have annoyed Cubs fans who were engaging in jerky behavior at Miller Park. We've in we've annoyed animal haters who don't think that pets should be in restaurants. We have a, a, a irritated city of Milwaukee officials who do not like me describing the city as being dangerous, even though pizza delivery drivers are being murdered at point blank range. Huh. And that's only an hour and a half. See, that's why you need to listen to the podcast if you've missed any of that stuff. All right. Now Let's annoy people from Albuquerque, New Mexico. BD, who is showing up, producing the program today and always. Have you ever been to Albuquerque? All right. Did you ever watch the show Breaking Bad? You never watched Breaking Bad? My gosh, you need to get out of the basement, pal. All right. I mean, of course, Breaking Bad is the very, very famous show that was set in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It involved a, a high school teacher who became a, a meth dealer. That was the, the whole trajectory of it. And again, it was set in Albuquerque. Let me put it like this. While the show took some liberties, I, I would say, with the, the drug business, the, the, show, the, the show pretty much caught Albuquerque, uh, you know, it pretty much encapsulated Albuquerque. Um, and with all due respect to people from Albuquerque, Albuquerque is a pit. It, it just, it just it, it's, it, it's a pit. There's lots of real, and, and, Maybe there are nice sections of Albuquerque, but in general, Albuquerque is is a pit, <laughs> you know. And and there's a reason why, besides the fact that the New Mexico tourist industry, you know, helped finance the show. There's a reason why, if you were going to do a show about meth heads, that that you'd set it in Albuquerque. All right, so now I've upset the people from Albuquerque. All right, the, there's also some very nice places in in. Um, I mean, Santa Fe is, is just absolutely beautiful, but Albuquerque, um, people. Who go, for example, on the Breaking Bad tours and stuff? Um, I, I think they come back and they. Oh, pretty much everybody says, "Well, we understand why you set a show about like crime and and meth heads in Albuquerque." Albuquerque's kind of a pit. Okay, here. Well, here's the story. It comes from Albuquerque. Circle K is a. Um, it, it's a chain of convenience stores. I mean, think. 7-Eleven, stuff like that. It's a chain of uh, gas stations, convenience stores. Think Speedway, think Quick Trip, um, Circle K, the, the same sort of type of place. So here's the story. This happens Monday, and it involves a young woman. Her name is Jennifer Wirtz. She is a clerk who works at this one of the Circle Ks in Albuquerque. Um, and so that that's her job. She works there all the time. She says... Robberies happen all the time at her place and at other similar type of convenience stores. And yet Circle K has this policy that says that um, workers are not allowed to defend themselves. So that's what the company's policy is. 
Okay, this is a, a young woman. She said what happened is she learned that there were other convenience stores in the area that were being robbed. She said also that um, this particular day, last Monday, she was scheduled to work until 10 o'clock at night. And she, as a single woman, feels very, very uncomfortable going out to her car at night. There's no security thing. There's no escort. I mean, you're, you're just walking out to your car. She said she's very uncomfortable. So she has a gun, and she knows how to use it. And so what she says is, I, I put the gun in my pocket after I heard that there were a chain of rob that there was a string of robberies going around because I, I was I was worried for my life. So she puts the gun in her pocket and she brings it to work with her. So Monday afternoon she's working at the, the Circle K gas station slash convenience store when a guy wearing a mask, carrying a gun comes into the place and, and you know it, it's just like in the movies. Screams, you know Blank, 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 all you people, get down on the ground. This is, is a robbery. So she's working at the place. She's, I don't think she's behind the counter, but she's like in the aisle. The guy comes up to her and sticks the gun in her face, at which point in time she pulls out her gun and shoots the guy in the chest, You know, shoots the robber after he points the gun at, at her. Um, so that's... Ends the, the whole thing. Turns out the suspect is a 23-year-old guy that they, you know, believe was involved in other robberies as well. All right. So you might say, okay, Jeff, where are we going with the story? Well, the DA's office comes out and looks at this, and they say, well, no, we're not, we're not issuing any charges uh, against her. I mean, uh, the guy comes in with a mask. He's robbing the store. He sticks the gun, you know, points the gun at her. She pulls out the gun and shoots him. Clear self-defense. You know, no, nobody's going to have any argument with that. So she's not subject to criminal charges. Here's the deal. Circle K has now suspended her for two weeks um, because their policy is you do not defend yourself. Um, she says their policy is we are not to chase. We are not to provoke. We are just supposed to stand there and give them what they want. She says, well, I wasn't going to do that. She says, first of all, I'm tired of, I'm sick and tired of being a sitting duck. He pointed the gun at my face. I grabbed my gun from my pocket. I cocked it and I shot. So she's like, yeah, the guy threatened me. And yes, I shot him. I'm sick and tired of this. I feared for my life. Circle K has now suspended. Like I say, no criminal charges. DA recognizes that this isn't that matter, but she has been suspended by the the chain, the by the convenience store chain, for violating their policy by defending herself. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand what their policy is, and I understand that these businesses have these policies saying give them what they want. At the same time, you want to talk about adding injure, insult to injury. You have this woman that you really have made a sitting duck. Somebody sticks a gun in her face. You don't know. She doesn't know whether he's going to be happy and satisfied when he cleans out the register or not. So she fires and she shoots him. And she stops the robbery. They catch the bad guy. And now she has been suspended. I think this is a terrible exercise of Circle K's discretion. Yes, the policy says don't chase, but she didn't chase. The policy says don't provoke, and I guess she provoked him when she shot the robber in the chest. 
should she have been suspended for two weeks? And I understand what their policy is, but that doesn't mean that they had to have suspended her. 414-799-1620. I think this is a horrible decision by the management of this particular convenience store chain. They should be more concerned with the victim in this case, which are the people that were being robbed and the clerks who were being terrified, than with the fact that she defended herself. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1015. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1017. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, as long as we're irritating people. About 15 minutes. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is back in the news. We'll talk about their latest harebrained act of intimidation. That's coming up in just a little bit. Right now, if you're just tuning in, here's the story. Monday afternoon, woman works in Albuquerque, New Mexico, high crime area. She is a convenience store clerk at a place called uh, Circle K. Circle K has a policy. If people come in to rob you, don't provoke them, don't chase them, just give them what they want. Well, she's got a gun with her because she's got to work at 10, till 10 o'clock that night. Area, other area stores have been robbed, so she's got a gun in her pocket. Guy comes in with a mask, you know, the same thing. This is a robbery. Everybody down on the floor comes up to her, points a gun in her face. She pulls the gun that she's got out of her pocket. She cocks it. She shoots him in the chest. Okay, catch the robber. He is going to survive. Catch the robber. DA says no charges. Circle K has suspended her for two weeks for defending herself. Let's talk to Noah in West Bend. Noah, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I love the show, and I think you're absolutely right. I think this is a horrible use of employer discretion. Um, I can't really imagine what they're thinking. I think, you know, if they want to make the point that this was against policy, you can sit down and have a verbal conversation and say, hey, just so you know, this wasn't really part of our policy. But at the end of the day, she just saved your company how much money. Right, and, I, and who knows? I, I mean, right? Who knows what this guy would have done? You know, maybe well, there's not the enough money in the register, so he starts shooting people that are in there. Well, right? she was the hero. Want witnesses? Yeah. I mean, even just I don't want somebody who saw my face. Now I'm going to shoot you. I I think she is a hero, and I I hope she knows that. And again, just ridiculous that they would suspend her. Right now, thank right. See, and, and I guess that's my point. I understand rules are rules, and I understand the policy, and I do. I understand why, in theory, you say, okay, you don't want the convenience clerk, you know, running out into the parking lot and getting into a gun battle and chasing people down the street. I mean, I, I, I understand that. And the policy itself makes sense. But there's nothing that says, but you within that policy, you have discretion to decide, okay, what happened here? Was this a situation where you had a clerk, the robbery was over, the guy was running away, you'd give him the money and you pull out a gun and you go chasing him down the street? No, that's not what happened. What happened here is is it's an active situation a guy with a mask who knows what he's hopped up on sticks points a gun at this woman and she decides i am not going to be a victim screw the policy at circle k i'm going to defend myself she shoots him again yeah you talk to her maybe you give her a verbal warning maybe you say we wish we wouldn't have handled this to which she should say well that's great i wish we would have more store security so i don't have people coming in and sticking guns in my face all right on our text line she should sue the company i think it's about time someone stands up to companies that make policy that threaten the lives of their employees yeah that's precisely what it would be. Randy and Franklin text, I take the two weeks to look for a new job, walk in there after the two weeks, and and quit. Um, 
Yeah, Debbie makes the same point. Who would want to work there? <laughs> yeah, well, there there is that. I mean, if you're not going to stand up, uh, Mitch says, terrible optics for Circle K. This goes beyond store policy to allow the robbery. The robbery threatened her life, not just the cash register. Fire her or suspend her at your own PR peril. Yeah, that's... You know, that's it. Um, Kevin and Mosquito text. Bad guys target these places because they know the policy well. Let me stop there. Last hour, we were talking about the pizza delivery driver that got murdered last week in Milwaukee. You know, what was the most dazzling detail that comes out of the criminal complaint was that after somebody orders a bunch of food to try to lure a pizza delivery driver there, they call the restaurant 10 minutes later and say, we're just wondering, do your drivers carry guns? I mean, you want to talk about premeditation, but but that's the thing. The bad guys know this is what's going on. Um, let's see, Kevin writes, maybe the word will get out that the clerks defend themselves and other robbers might think twice she should be given a two-week bonus, not a suspension. And then um, several people text things, things to this effect. Jeff, if I had her address and knew how much this gal made in two weeks' time, I would write her a check. She's a hero. Tom and Slinger says the same thing. Where can I send money to help this woman out? I'm, I'm proud of her. Let's talk to Jim in Oconomowoc. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. I think she ought to be promoted to the idiot's position that suspended her. <laughs> well, but they have this policy, Jim, and I mean, I understand they don't want their clerks getting into gun battles with robbers, but at the same time, don't you have to look at the facts of each situation? Don't you have to use a little common sense in life? Well, that's, yeah, that that's, ex- right, thank, thanks, that's exactly right. I mean, that's... Okay, can you imagine, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm, let's say this goes a different way. And again, with I, I was kind of making fun of Albuquerque, but th- they have a huge problem with methamphetamine. That's why that show Breaking Bad was set there. So let's say you've got, th- let's say, and I don't know what the background of the robber was, but let's say you've got some, you know, tweaked out meth head who's, you know, wearing the mask and decides to rob that place. He's pointing the gun at everybody. And let's say... Same situation, he points the gun at that woman, and he shoots and kills her. All right, shoots and kills her, and then everybody says, gosh, she had a gun on her person. I wonder why she didn't defend herself. Well, she didn't defend herself because Circle K had this policy saying, you know, it's out of policy to defend yourself when people stick guns in your face. Huh? You know, really? I mean, that's. <laughs> let's see, I have another note here on our text line. Nobody is going to rob that place again. Well, that is, you know, one of the factors that's out there. I mean, she has set the standard. And look, and I understand the policy that these companies have. And I can think, and I, I think that there's all sorts of situations where you don't want to put other people in danger. You don't want to have employees essentially turning the business into the gunfight at the OK Corral. But in this case, doesn't it seem like all's well that ends well? The robbery was thwarted. People are safe. And it's the bad guy that ends up in the hospital. I'm with so many of you, I think rather than sitting there on the bricks for two weeks, maybe you tell her, hey, what you did was out of policy, wink, wink, wink. But tell you what, um, here, have an extra week vacation. We're going to pay for it. It's 1024. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes, our friends at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, they have an entire town in Alabama upset with them. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 1025. It's time for the Mattress Firm semi-annual sale.
It is 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yes, we are not going quietly into the good weekend on the Friday program. Um, coming up in just a few minutes. Well, first of all, I want to talk about the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And then another controversy. He's gone but not forgotten. Sheriff David Clark, back in the news. Um, I, I want to cut through some of the, I, I mean, there, there's smoke and then there's fire. The, the smoke is the, the sheriff riding out of town, essentially, and, and using some colorful language towards a local reporter. Um, but, but the fire relates to a security detail he had. We're going to talk about the substantive issue um, in just a couple minutes. Um, there's Wayne and Larry on your radio and the Packers game on your TV, but your phone now gives you a new view with our Packers second screen. Get instant reaction to every big moment and exclusive comments from Coach McCarthy on our second screen every game day in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. That is very cool to check out. All right. The Freedom From Religion Foundation, based in Madison, Wisconsin. And there are, you can go to many communities in, in this country and if you ask them who public enemy number one is, it's going to come back and it's going to be the Freedom From Religion Foundation. This is, of course, the, the atheist organization that believes that we need to get God out of all aspects of public life. So here's the latest story. Um, Lee County Schools in Lee County, Alabama, have had a tradition which goes back decades. And what the, what they do is that... Before sporting events, whether it's basketball games or football games or whatever, before sporting events, they will play the, I hope you're sitting down for this, they will play the national anthem. And then what they will do is they will turn the microphone over to a student. And the students, uh, they apply for this, they get selected. The student is then given the opportunity to say a prayer over the loudspeaker before the game. School doesn't force them, it doesn't force the kid to do it. Nobody is forced to pray, but they give the student the opportunity. So this is a student-led prayer, but it is done over the loudspeaker. Well, earlier uh, in August, before one of the football games, apparently somebody in the stands, one person, is offended at the fact that there was this student-led prayer over the loudspeaker. So they contact our friends at the Freedom From Religion Foundation in Madison, and the folks from the Freedom From Religion Foundation then send a cease and desist order. How dare you allow a student to use the microphone, to use the loudspeaker, to say a prayer? When we come back, I will tell you what happened, and we will discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, with the housing market on an uptick. How is it that Milwaukee has become one of the best spots in the nation for single women to buy a home? John McCure has all the details. Tune in, 334, during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Okay, here here is the the story. Uh, There's a school district in in Alabama, and this tradition has been going on for for decades, before sporting events, but in particular before high school football games. Um, The announcer comes on, asks folks to stand to their feet, remove their hats. The marching band plays the Star-Spangled Banner. Then, then the announcer hands the microphone over to a student, and the student 
then typically leads a little prayer. He thanks the he or she, you know, thanks God and asks for God's blessing upon the evening games. Evening's game. It has been a long time tradition. It's been going about for, for decades before these football games. Um, what happens is this year there is one parent who is in the stands who is freaked out. Just, I mean, I must apparently consider it to be a microaggression that somebody ha- has actually said this prayer. So they contact our friends out in Madison, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, who send this letter to the school district saying this is an unconstitutional violation of the Establishment Clause. You are, by allowing the, the student-led prayer over the loudspeaker, um, despite the fact that it's students that are doing this and they are leading it and they are initiating it, oh, it's terrible, this violates the Constitution, you must stop. So the school district in Alabama brings in its lawyers, and its lawyers look at this, this Supreme Court case from 2000, which, as much as it pains me to say this, um, probably, not forget probably, does say, this is the Supreme Court in, in 2000, that said, yes, it is unconstitutional to allow the student-initiated, initi- student-led prayer over the loudspeaker. And given that somebody is objecting to this, what's going to happen is if you don't stop this, well, then you're going to get sued, and you will probably lose, and you'll end up spending all this money to try to defend the lawsuit. So the school district caves. And they come out and they say, hey, you know, we, this isn't our idea. We don't think that there's any problem with this, but we've been threatened with a lawsuit. And we understand we're just going to back off because we don't think we can ultimately win the lawsuit. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, here's the point. I understand. I'm not going to criticize the school district because, candidly, I, I think the school district, well, they're, they're – they're, they're acting on their advice of the lawyers, and based on the way I read this Supreme Court case from 17 years ago, I, I think you know, the lawyers are right to be cautious. But that doesn't mean the Supreme Court has gotten it right. 414-799-1620. Do you think there is anything wrong with allowing a student to lead a prayer over a loudspeaker before a football game? or before a basketball game. Does that really promote the establishment of a religion? Nobody is required to pray. Praying is not a condition of being allowed to go to the game. They might ask you to stand. They might ask you to remove your hat. But if you don't stand and you don't remove your hat, well, there's no problem with that. I guess if you want to continue your conversation or doing whatever you're doing while the kid is leading the 15 or 20 or 30 second prayer, you can do that. Should this really in America in 2017, should it is it really, in your opinion, and should it be a violation of the Constitution for a student initiated student led prayer before a football game to occur? My answer is the Constitution can't mean that. It it just can't. The founding fathers, I think, are rolling over in their graves at some of the bizarre ways the anti-religion zealots have twisted stuff in this country. And again, I'm not criticizing here the lawyers for the school district who are, I, I think, just doing their job and they're saying, yeah, what you're doing probably runs afoul of this decision. But that doesn't mean the decision is right. 414 799 
I think this is where these cases have got to start going back up to the Supreme Court to figure out a more reasonable and rational view of, of this whole legal idea of separation of church and state. Could a reasonable person really be offended by this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1040. Uh, this is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Um, let's see. Jeff. Would a Muslim prayer over school speakers be okay with you? How about a satanic prayer? Well, I don't think there's going to be too many satanic prayers in Lee County, Alabama. That would be my idea. But, yeah, if, if, if before football games, as has been the case for decades, the tradition is that a student is invited to come up and give a welcoming, and if the welcoming includes a prayer, yeah, I, I don't have a, a problem with that as long as it's student-led and student-initiated, and I guess – if it's a a Muslim prayer, all right, you know that that that's okay. Um, if it's you know somebody who's Jewish, that that's fine. Satanic, well, I, like I say, I doubt you're going to find too many Satanists in Lee County, Alabama. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my position is keep church at church. I think the founding fathers would not have supported this. If you read Thomas Jefferson. He would have absolutely opposed this. He would have probably been even further um, Boy, just, in having a virus separation. He rewrote the whole New Testament, taking all the elements of deity out of it, because he was not in favor of having any established religion. I uh, uh, see, but I see. I just don't. I, see, I guess I, I just fundamentally disagree with you. I don't think the establishment clause meant that. But let me. Uh, you, you say you want to keep church at church. Do you think it is wrong to start public meetings with a prayer? Um, yes. If it's a public meeting yeah. supported by taxpayers, yes. Right. So, yes. I mean, so when, when we have, so, for example, when Congress starts, they have, before, when Congress is called into session, they have, they have a prayer. You think that that's wrong? That's my opinion. I understand no. they do it, and they're not going to discontinue. But I think church should be left at church. The state should do nothing to interfere with churches, you know, practicing their religion. But as it slowly, continually creeps in, um, when you're not part of the dominant, uh, you know, the, the dominant culture, which is Christianity or Judaism in this country, you don't quite understand the feeling of being left out uh, when situations like this get put in. And it's so. I mean, so do you think? And let me, okay, let, let me work with you on that one. Sure. The idea is 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 left out. So let's say that you're. Um, uh, let's say that you're in a banquet. Let, let's not. Let's take it out of the go. You're you're at, you're at a you're at a banquet, and they start off by and I, I go to these things frequently, and they start off by having a prayer. If you're not part of the dominant one of the dominant religions, do you feel left out when they when they have that prayer? Usually, um, the reason is is because the Western religions are generally intolerant. They say the only way to salvation is through their religion. Yeah. So if you are not part of that religion, de facto, you're never going to be saved, you're left out. So there's a constant press to recruit you, which is tiresome. Now, in Judaism, they don't recruit people that are not part of the culture. But Christianity's their goal is to continually so, always recruit people. So you, you think when you, when, you, when you sit there and you hear 
somebody you know say say a prayer before the, the opening of a town council meeting or whatever that's an effort to recruit you to the religion it's an effort to minimize people that aren't it, it belittles people that aren't christians there's a uh, attitude of smugness wow. that i'm part of this and you're not and unless you've experienced that I just think in the year 2000, it's crazy that people still cling to traditions from before the Bronze Age, you know, the religious mythologies. It's, it's like, I just don't understand how people can continue. Well, because maybe, maybe because you know, like religion is something that, that helps them find meaning in their life. I, I got to tell you, you and I are just from different planets on this. I, 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 I will... Okay, I, I will I will do events sometimes where I am invited to a, a temple, for example. Okay, I am not Jewish, but I, I I appreciate I don't I don't feel left out when I'm the the only one of two or three the only Christians in in the the temple and there, there's the prayers that are going on. I mean, because even though that is not how I worship, I appreciate the historical significance and things like that, and I certainly respect the other cultures. That this idea that gee, they're trying to recruit me. You know, if they they say a prayer, I, I think, I, I guess if people are offended by that, uh, you, you got you got some big problems. I, I think seriously that that are going on. But but back to this point, I mean, if you've got a, I mean, the idea that we're going to tell a student that the, the student, I mean, I, I understand if the school said. All right, look, you have to – this is the prayer that everybody has to recite. I understand that is the government forcing people to do it. If, on the other hand, you turn the microphone over to the student, the student has the discretion to give welcoming remarks and include a prayer because they believe that, I don't see how that is the government establishing the religion. The government is giving the student the microphone. The school district's giving him the microphone. But is it more than that? But I guess the, the larger point, and really I'm glad you called, Jim, is this, I just admit, I don't get it. I, I don't get this idea that, gee, if I'm sitting at the Common Council meeting and they start off with, with a prayer, that because you might have asked a rabbi to do it, um, that that um, or you might have asked um, a, a Catholic priest. I'm not Catholic. You, that that I'm going to feel like I'm being ostracized or I'm being recruited. I'm just sitting there saying, okay, these are people. They they are asking. They believe in a deity. They are asking for the deity's blessing. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there really is a God. Okay, <laughs> I think that would be my attitude if I was an atheist. Rather than being upset about it, my response would be, "Okay, well, this is this is pretty good coverage because maybe if I'm wrong and there is this God out there, maybe they're asking that God to look out after me. I'll take it." We continue the conversation in a minute. It's ten forty nine. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 10.52, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. We're getting a number of interesting responses here. Okay, here's one of my texts. Why not start the meeting with a shout-out to Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or any other fictional character that may or may not be real? Why does any public event have to start with a prayer? Pray at home and go to the meeting. It is ridiculous. So, I mean, look, I, I understand where the Freedom from Religion Foundation comes from. They believe that the, the Establishment Clause of the Constitution, which says that government shall not... Um, do anything to prevent the establishment of a religion, that that, um, that means that if you recognize the existence, that at least some people believe in God, that that is establishing a religion. I just think that's a crazy interpretation of this. And I, I go back to the bigger principle. I mean, are people really are offended by this? I mean, seriously. Mark in Winnebago. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Hey, I just wanted to make a comment. I had the pleasure last Friday night of attending a high school football game at Carroll College. It was Catholic Memorial versus Sussex Hamilton. Right. And a priest did say a prayer before the game started, and I didn't see anybody sit down, walk out, throw a tantrum. Uh, if you don't like the format, check the format before you attend an event, stay away until after the pregame ceremony, and then come on in and take a seat. With that, I'll hang up. Thanks, yeah, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, I, look, I mean, I, I understand that as, as a condition of attending a public school event, do I think you should be required to pray? No, I, I, I don't. But at the same time, nobody is required to pray. There, there's not a litmus test. What they do is they say, okay, we have the kids, we have an opportunity, the students, they can do their own welcoming message. Now, typically, they say prayers. Well, you don't, if you're sitting in the stands, you don't have to pray. You're, you're not required to do that. Yes, you are asked to sit there and be quiet while, you know, other people, while the, the kid is saying whatever the kid is saying. But I guess you don't technically even have to do that. But yet it's this fear of religion cooties. And here, here's the language of the Establishment Clause. The, the Establishment Clause, it's, it's contained in the First Amendment. Here's what it says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, that has become, that has been interpreted over the years as the separation of church and state. Separation of church and state is not a phrase that appears in, in the Constitution. It is a court-created thing. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, which to me, the, the purpose behind this was to say, all right, we don't want to have a, a government sponsored religion that everybody has to worship at. It wasn't to say that we need to completely and totally erase and eradicate all elements of religion from public life. And I guess that's that's to me where I think the big distinct, distinction ends up lying. Uh, let's talk to Mike in Appleton. Mike, thanks for waiting. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I'm not going to, I don't agree with, I mean, I believe that this country was founded under God, and I believe in all that, and they should be able to pray. But my point is, if it's against the, con- the Constitution, you know, right. the Supreme Court, right. to, to a, do the prayer over the school out system, why doesn't a parent just buy a handheld <laughs> megaphone? And give them to that, yeah. Yep, and, right. and they, can, they, by, they bypass the whole constitutional argument of it because it has nothing to do it's a private it's a private piece of property then well well i mean it's right then it wouldn't be student-led or student-initiated i see i don't think that i I have to think this through i'm not sure as, as long as as long as the school would allow would, would say okay now we're going to have a welcoming message and whether it was the loudspeaker or whether it was somebody with a microphone as long as the school would designate that um, I, I don't know that that necessarily gets around it I guess my larger point is I don't think we should have to get around it that that's why and I look I understand what the Supreme Court said in 2000 that is why and we talk about this on this program from time to time these various issues I think the law when it comes to what the Establishment Clause really means. Remember you had that, that thing where the, the football coach was being told that you couldn't go out at half – the football coach was fired for going out onto the field 
after the game and kneeling and saying a silent prayer. We were said that you were told that you cannot do that. It's okay to turn your back on the flag and kneel in protest during the national anthem, but you can't go out after the game and kneel at uh, at, cent- at at midfield and say a prayer. My my whole point is, I think. This whole interpretation of the Establishment Clause has been completely and totally whacked out over the years. I don't think anybody knows what it really means, and I think you have all these court decisions that are kind of piecemeal that have evolved over the years that create all this controversy. And the truth of the matter is that this this was a manufactured controversy. I mean, they have been doing this for decades in Alabama, and then you get one whiny parent who decides that they want to try to create an issue, and then you know you have these threats to the school. I just think we need much more clarity, and we need much more common sense with all the people who are out there who are afraid, oh my gosh, we might get some religious cooties if we actually, I don't know, actually have a, a prayer before we start the banquet, for example. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. When we come back... Um, interesting decision out at my, my niece just graduated from Pewaukee High School. I love Pewaukee High School. Interesting policy that they have implemented. And David Clark back in the news. He does not go gently into the good night. I love it. Stick around. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Week in Review comes up about 1135. Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson will be in. All right. I, I, there's, there's the smoke and then there's the fire. Here, here is the smoke. Um, David Clark, who I, I think I think Sheriff, former Sheriff Clark, I think his legacy, and I've, I've argued this before, it's, it's a very complicated legacy. I think... When he first came, when he first took over as the Milwaukee County Sheriff, and for a number of years afterwards, I think he was an absolute breath of fresh air in Milwaukee County. I think he said things that needed to be said. I understand he ruffled feathers, but in many cases, those were feathers that needed to be ruffled. And I I think, you know, he stood up for... I don't know, people, a lot, I think what Clark did a lot of times is he said things that everybody else was thinking, but that they just didn't feel comfortable for saying. I mean, I'll give you an example of that. Remember when he was doing those ads that essentially said to people, look, um, 911 can't protect you. That you you need to you need to realize you know if somebody's breaking into your house in the middle of the night you you can call nine one one but we're not going to get there and so you need to start thinking about how you are going to defend yourself and of course that had all the hand riggers oh he's talking about vigilantism no he was I think saying what people needed to hear and again that he he had no problem speaking truth to power. And I didn't agree with him on all the things he did early on. And I understand. I, I think sometimes he he picked fights, particularly with people in the sheriff's department, that didn't need to be picked. You know, and I, that's. I mean, look, I, I I always have trouble with people 
who take the view that it's my way or the highway on, on all things. I mean, and, and I think sometimes that was too much of David Clark. But in general, I think for, oh, I don't know, probably the first 10, 11, 12 years here, he was clearly a positive force. What I think happened, in my opinion, is that the sheriff just got bored. I, mean, I think he, he got bored with the job. Maybe he outgrew the job. He got tired of dealing with the clown car act that is the county board. He got tired of dealing with you know Chris Abley. And Lord knows, I, I can certainly understand that. But instead of moving on, he continued to be the sheriff. And I think he, in some respects, kind of you know went rogue, retired on active duty um, over the last couple of years. And, and he started finding other vehicles. You know, he was uh, you know on TV all the time, and he latched on with the Trump administration and the Trump campaign. And I get it. I mean, I I, I understand. I think I would have liked to have seen him resign a couple years earlier if he was going to do that, simply because I think he had moved beyond the, the job. So now now he has resigned. He is the former sheriff, and he's working for you know one of the Trump political action committees. But he's gone but not forgotten. There is a, a columnist reporter for the Journal Sentinel named Dan Bice. And I, I, I've known Dan Bice for years. I, 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 I mean, his... He's kind of like the, the muckraker. I don't say that in a bad way. He, he gets tips and he runs with stories. Um, I, Dan is a decent guy. I, I, I like Dan Bice personally. I've criticized some of his work. I think sometimes he takes cheap shots. You could say the same thing about any of us who do that. So uh, that's it. But Bice has made a living over the last few years with ongoing battles between him and David Clark. I mean, they've been going back and forth. And um, the, the latest one just erupted because um, – Bice sends Clark a series of, of, of questions asking him about, you know, how he feels about all the money that the taxpayers spent in providing him security over the, the course of the last year or so. And uh, the the sheriff um, responds. Um, this, this is the answer. Um, Blank you, except he doesn't say blank you. He says a word that I can't say on the radio. We've had a lot of that going on this morning. Blank you and the horse you rode in on. I'm David Clark, and I approve this message. And so then they, they go back, and there is there is a, a back and forth. Um, Dan Bice, the reporter, says, Clark thought it was a good idea to post my home address online and to publish an essay in which he smeared one of my family members and invite me to lunch so he could read me passages from a Christian devo- devotional um, uh, Bice, of course, again, recognizing that, but he was, I mean, Clark was his whipping boy for, for years, and so there's there's plenty of um, back and forth. But so now the story that's going, you know, national is that Clark used this bad word in responding to the reporter. And my guess is it's not the first time that any reporters have heard that word, and it's probably not the first time that they have either had the word used in direction to them or that they have used it from time to time. So that's that's the story that's grabbing the headlines, the, the, the back and forth. But to me, that's the, the smoke. The, the interesting, the more interesting story to me is is the whole question about the security detail, the underlying facts behind this. Um, apparently, what happened is, um, starting at the be- actually starting last year, but they don't have the numbers from January first until the time the sheriff, former sheriff, resigned in, in late August. Um, he directed that there be around the clock security at his at his home. 
and apparently, and I'm not surprised by this, there, there were there were death threats that were being made against the sheriff. So they have the numbers now, and it cost taxpayers, and I live in Milwaukee County, it cost taxpayers about two hundred and twenty-five grand to provide round-the-clock security for the sheriff um, at, at his home from the beginning of the year. Now, this detail apparently started six months earlier. It started in 2016 in July. So we, and they don't have the cost yet. There's re- requests in, and at some point in time, you know, we'll find it. My, but my guess is, it's it's going to be comparable. If it was 225 grand to run round the clock security at the sheriff's house from January until August. Um, my guess is if you started this in July, it's going to be about the same. I mean, maybe maybe it'll be a little more, maybe it'll be a little less because I think the timing's a little bit short. But, but you're, you know, you're talking about a substantial investment of taxpayer money because apparently of, of threats. All right, this to me is the more interesting issue, not the back and forth between a reporter and the former sheriff. The, the question is whether or not it was an abuse if you as a public official are receiving threats. Is it an abuse to have around-the-clock security at your home. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That That's what I want to talk. When, when you hear this, that the sheriff, apparently in response to threats, and believe me, I have no doubt that the sheriff was getting threats on a regular basis. He had a security detail at his house. There was a substantial cost to the taxpayers, but I am going to assume for the sake of argument that this was in response to what would be legitimate safety concerns for the sheriff and his wife. Does it bother you? I mean, is this an un- was this an unreasonable decision by the sheriff, or would you expect this to happen for public officials who are, I mean, the subject of, of threats? The governor... Whether it's Jim Doyle or Scott Walker or Tommy Thompson, I mean, the governor has a security detail. If you ever go anywhere with the governor, you'll you'll see the security detail that that's there. So the governor has a permanent security detail um, be, because of that. Was it wrong for I mean, the mayor when the mayor travels? Now I don't think the mayor has twenty four seven surveillance at his home. I don't believe could be wrong about that, but I don't think so. But when the mayor travels, I mean, he has the option of taking security people with him. Was this excessive on Clark's part? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's eleven eighteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. By the way, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Jeff Wagner, 620. I, I'm about to post, I'm about to send out another tweet. It, it's one of my OMG moments. Um, Wisconsin City, this is Channel 4 reporting. Wisconsin City deciding where to put giant blue hatched baby sculpture. For God's sake, don't send it to Milwaukee and put it next to the orange monstrosity at the end of Wisconsin Avenue. All right, 414-799-1620. Um, David Clark ordered pri- ordered sheriff's round-the-clock security at his home based apparently on threats. The cost from January of this year to August when he resigned was about two hundred and twenty-five grand. Um, there's this, probably going to be a similar cost from July of last year when it started. I- is, this, is this an unreasonable thing? And, I, and I'll tell you, I mean, 
I, I did I when when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office years and years ago that I had I had death threats and there was one point in time where the U.S. Marshals did for just a couple days did have they they worked with the local authorities and and they did have. I, I mean, it wasn't like somebody sitting in front of the house all the time, but they did have, I mean, there, there was added, extra added uh, attention. Now, it wasn't 24-7, and it wasn't week after week and month after month, but at the same time, if you're a public official and you're getting death threats, is this, in fact, an unreasonable thing? Steve in River Hills. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, well, yeah, it's a lot of money. And if you're looking at what five hundred thousand dollars, probably uh, for those the the for a year, there. yeah, probably yeah, four so, four or five hundred grand, yeah. Sure, very expensive, uh, a lot of money. But at the same time, if there were in fact death threats made against Sheriff Clark and his family, I feel like it was warranted. And I don't believe that Sheriff Clark would have been able to just write off on that amount, or you know, to displace the sheriff's deputies to pay. You're at our house, you know, tonight. So somebody else had a write-off on that. It wasn't just him. I don't know I about don't that. He... I don't know, Steve. I don't know about that. I, I that, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that I think they might have had to do whatever he ordered. But, but to the larger point, if if he's legitimately getting threats and he's getting threats based on his official capacity and they're threatening him as a sheriff, I, I don't, and I don't care whether it's Clark or or whoever. I, I guess. I don't think it's unreasonable to say if you've got a local police chief, if you've got the police chief in Fox Point who's getting death threats because of, you know, his, his job. I mean, I, I don't know that I think it's unreasonable to have, you know, deputies doing something to patrol the home. Do you need 24 hour surveillance? That I don't know. I don't know the nature of the threats, but I guess I don't think that it's necessarily wrong to have extra attention. Well, that's the thing. And that's where. The story, I think, lies is the extra attention on this. Now, if it was Mayor Tom Barrett that had legitimate threats made against him sure. or his family, uh, yeah. it would be warranted. And everyone would be like, well, of course we'd have police officers there. And, of course, this would happen. Same as Chief Ed Flynn. I, I know for a fact he has drivers that pick him up every morning and take him to the station. How much does that cost? I mean, right, right, it, right. Because that, no, exactly. No, and I, I think there's no question that this is a, a bigger deal because this is this is David Clark. Um, let's see one of our texts. This is nothing new. A few years back, when a resident in Slinger shot and killed an intruder, the sheriff had 24-hour security near the house for weeks because of retaliation and death threats to the family. With the vocality, with the vocality, I'm not sure that's a word, but with the vocality of Sheriff Clark, I wouldn't doubt the credibility of the threats that wackos gave. Now, again, I'm I, I, I'm assuming that there were in fact threats. I'm assuming that that Clark did just pull out of thin air. Here, I want. You know, I, I want to have, you know, guards at my house, but I have no trouble believing, given, you know, the nature of David Clark and the controversy, that that there were, in fact, threats. And I, I think, you know, you make a really good point when you talk about Tom Barrett. If Tom Barrett, I mean, I, I, look, I, I think when you're a public official and you're in the public light and there are wackos that are out there on, on all sides of, of the matter. And I think that, you know, if because of your position in public, that draws attention to yourself and that draws the threats. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect the governor to have a security detail. I, I, I do. And again, I don't care whether it's Walker or Jim Doyle or whoever. I expect that the governor is going to have a security detail. I expect that the mayor, I don't have a f- problem with that. I mean, if you're a public official and you're being threatened, yeah, you you, you deserve this. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Gary in Milwaukee. Gary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Hey, I- 
Uh, well, I I think it's uh, an acceptable thing. A uh, little bit back years ago, uh, speaking with a retired police officer that uh, well known with me, uh, he said that uh, Harold Breyer had constant uh, police, you know, outside his home around the clock. As a matter of fact, he even came out sometimes and caught caught one of them met napping, and uh, <laughs> they were disciplined. Oh, sure, but uh, it, yeah. With with the position these people take, whether it be the governor, mayor, police chief, uh, sheriff, clerk, um, they all uh, undoubtedly in today's society, uh, many threats are given to these people, and uh, they deserve that protection because of the the position they hold and uh, yeah. and the wackos that are out there. Uh, I don't see it as unacceptable, and it's a lot of money, but it was a lot of money back when Harold Breyer had. Protection. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's right. And, and you and I'm trying to think, OK, it's I mean, you know, could you do it cheaper? I mean, I, I don't know what the nature of the security stuff was. And and again, that sounds it sounds like a big chunk of money. But my guess is it's well, I mean, if, when if you want to think of I have no idea what it would cost to hire a security guard 24 seven. But, yeah, I think you're I mean, thanks. For, you, you, you deserve you, you deserve this. Now, if it turns out that there's no threats and this was just kind of some ego thing, that might be a different story. Um, but. When you're in when you're in office, I mean, heck, we have once you're the president of the United States, for example, and I understand, believe me, I get that being the sheriff of Milwaukee County is not being president of the United States. But I mean, you have security details, you have Secret Service protection for your entire life. Um, and that that's just kind of the way it works, because you are, you know, there are threats. Uh, Dane in Oconto, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Enjoy your show, and thank I've enjoyed the TMJ up here in Okada while I'm out on the river for 20-plus years. <laughs> well, we thank you very that. much. We appreciate you listening. <laughs> um, regarding uh, Sheriff Clark, uh, mostly what's been discussed so far has been the high-profile people, and I think about a sheriff's deputy or anybody else who's received a, a equally threatening messages right. or whatever. And my question is, is there a reason why we would pay less to support someone other than a high-profile, important person, so to speak? No, I don't think so. I mean, my guess is that the uh, – well, th- thanks for the call, Dan. I mean, here, here – and again, I'll just – I'll try to relate this personally. Um, my – I think what happens when there are threats against people, and I'll, I'll just – in law enforcement, okay, because that was my perspective, what they do is they try to assess the nature of the threat, what is the duration of the threat, and, and what do you need? Um, you know, how long is this going to particularly go on? And, and you try to base it accordingly. Federal judges, for example, have had, you know, protective details. Not all of them do, but sometimes they do if there's like a death threat that's made against a judge. And it's going to vary, not so much, I think, because of what the person, what their role is, but rather, you know, what's the nature of the threat? Um, how long is the threat going to be? How intense is the threat going to be? It, it's all those different things that come in. And again, I, I don't know enough about, and it's, the details are enough about what the exact security detail that, that Clark had. But while I appreciate that he is a lightning rod, at the same time, I mean, if he was in fact getting threats, just like I'd say this about Tom Barrett or Chris Abley or whatever, if you're getting threats, I, I think you're entitled to security. It's 1129. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1136. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is one of my very favorite parts of the week. I don't have to do all the heavy lifting because we bring in 
Well, they are the roses. I am the thorn between the two roses. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Good, good morning. morning. Hey. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Tracy, Great. good morning. Great to be here. Thank okay, you. let us start off. Um, let, let's talk about a, a national, actually an international story. President Trump goes before the United Nations on Tuesday morning gives a stem winder of a, a speech where he talks about what America first means. He talks about North Korea. He talks about Iran and a number of other things. Okay, Susie, your reaction. You know, he sounded presidential, and that was impressive, and I think it was good for him to stick to the teleprompter. Um, I Overall, I thought it was it was a good speech. Um, you know, it, it sounds like we've got our stuff together here in the country, um, and that we're kind of straying away from the nationalism that, that was being discussed early in the campaign and leaning more toward classic conservative internationalism, which I think is, is a good thing. Um, okay, here, but, but, but here's the but. I mean, well, the- I have a but, too. <laughs> I do have a butt. I want to hear uh, Nobody can butt. see it because we're not Facebook Live. But here, here, no, let me let me just. Where are we going? Where are we going? He he can't bully people like he does um, bully a couple people that he you know singled out in his talk. And one was Kim Jong Un, and Kim Jong we think is a madman. Well, he thinks Donald Trump's a madman, and we are on the brink of a very serious crisis, which is. I read, you know, all well, the news this okay. morning. I mean, so, he's right. saying he's going to that's gonna what I was going to ask the you. The biggest hydrogen bomb over the, over the Pacific yes, Ocean. That's, that is horrifying. Th- there has not been a there's not been an above ground nuclear test yeah. for for decades. So, how do you respond? Did did President Trump's remarks unnecessarily provoke the guy or yes okay you know he's name calling he he He, calls him rocket man okay they're both absolutely crazy about being called names or being called little men or um you know weak or you know and so they're gonna if they're they're bullies in in a sandbox and they're gonna push back and this is we're dealing with nuclear war yeah no and i wouldn't put them on this on the same page but because i think what what trump did successfully is he got People around the world, and, and if you listen to the reaction, the world leaders have have said this was this was a great speech. I agree with him. And now you're seeing movement and action. Look at what China's doing um, with some of their credit uh, credit action. Um, but you know what he did, I think successfully is showed why America first is important, and then showed other countries why it's important for them to care about their people Mm -hmm. and why following the U.S. is the right way to go because we care about what happens in the world. And and I think he was successful in doing that. He was articulate, even though some people say it was a sloppy speech. Um, But I think what he's doing is really cornering North Korea. I mean, that, their, their U.N. ambassador didn't even stay in the room. He left out of protest. I mean, right. let's just be honest. Who's the baby here? So I, I think this is successful. I think th- that he's mixing diplomacy and strong words that may lead to, to some sort of action. But at the end of the day, if you look back, the, the Kim uh, uh, leadership has resulted in more and more nuclear buildup over time. So, right. so where does Negotiation this go? hasn't worked. There's no question about that. Okay, one of the other aspects... That I thought was so interesting of the president's speech was he, he talked about communism and socialism as being a, a failed ideology. Was that unnecessarily prov- provocative? No, I, I think it was. It, 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 he was successful, I think, in, in talking about Venezuela and how he was he was saying that because yeah. it was faithfully followed. He's saying that some of these ideas, they, they have 
I don't want to say their place, but when they're faithfully followed to the detriment of their people, that is what's wrong with this world. He's not saying you all need to be democracies like the United States. At least that's not how I read it. He said you can follow your leaders. You can you know rule however you want. I don't care. But when you're hurting your people and it's hurting the world, that's when the United States has to step in. So I think it was successful. And I, I agree with that. I do think it was overall a, a decent speech. Um, I, you know, I was thinking, wow, this, this guy, you know, within, well, last time, I think he got run, won my Right Stuff Award, didn't he, right. for, for doing, for working. For with, cooperating with the Democrats, yes. And, trying to, and for trying to get things done. And, and I, I think that whoever wrote his speech did a fairly decent job. Um, I, there was a lot to, to be said, and he did a good job delivering it. I, I do think people that sat down in that room were wondering where that, where, where that speech was going to go and if he was going to say any off-the-cuff remarks. I think we were all kind of you know, on edge about that. Um, I, I, but to be honest, I'm very worried about North Korea right now, and I, and, and I wish that he hadn't provoked. Um, you know, he's a madman over in North Korea. Well, I, we all I do, know that. You know, I do think one of the things, if, if North Korea would really conduct a hydrogen, hydrogen bomb test over the Pacific Ocean, I think that's the point in time where that that's when China and Russia really do get involved because China and Russia don't want to see nuclear tests being mm-hmm. conducted over the Pacific Ocean either. I and, and that's one of the reasons why I doubt that he'll actually do it mm-hmm. because you know if you've got any sort of self interest at all, North Korea has already isolated themselves. And again, you know if they lose the support of China, if China cuts off their oil, where where does that where well, does that right. country I think go? We need to negotiate. I mean, we need to get China more involved, and I think you know this is where diplomacy comes in. In Tillerson and and um, Haley, we've got to sit down and say, look at you know what we are we're at the brink of a disaster here, and you have to step it up. Well, more. until it's a business case, I don't know that China's going to do a whole lot. I mean, they're they're ninety percent of the trade. I think with North Korea, the business right. case China. is the environment's destroyed by nuclear holocaust, they don't care and about they've got that. people dying right and left. I mean, that would be incentive enough for me. Well, so d- does. Does he go ahead? Do do you have an above ground nuclear test over the Pacific like he's threatening? What do you think, Tracy? I I think he's just crazy enough to do something that might be really close to it, whether it's it, it that that they try and fail. But I I think he's he I think he's suicidal. I I think he's really nuts. He is. He is that person that I think Trump has successfully defined a, a, a suicidal rocket man. I, I know that. Why you don't so. say that? You don't. You don't. He's not thinking. Another guy. But all straight. the world leaders. All the world leaders are saying, "Wow, this is a breath of fresh air. Somebody is going to inspire action, not just platitudes well, and I, rhetoric." And I, it's really funny juxtaposed, juxtaposed with Hillary Clinton running around the country talking about her book. I think it's just hilarious. I, I do think one of the other strong points of the speech was the, the explanation for America first. And I mean, I, I love the way he did that. He said, mm, look, he did nice you know, I, look, this is, I talk about America first, but all, all you are yeah, all leaders. Right. You put your countries first, yeah. but it is in the interest of all our countries to live in a it time of peace well and prosperity. Said. Okay, when we come back, state uh, Stacy Tracy has been following this for weeks and weeks and months and months. The long state nightmare is over. Yesterday, the governor signed the state budget. We're talking about it. Stick around. It's uh, the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner with Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. It's 1144. It's 11.47. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, The Week in Review. Okay, Tracy, I know this has been something you've been intimately involved with for the last uh, several months. Uh, the state budget is finally passed. 
The governor signed it with 99 vetoes. State legislature is not going to try to override anything. The budget is done. Is it a good document? Well, I think, is it a good document? It's a, it's a, it's an okay document. It's all right. It accomplishes a lot of the things that we need uh, for our state. It also accomplishes what the governor wants, which is, you know, set the stage for, for his reelection. Um, big week, though, overall, man. Monday, signing the Foxconn legislation and now the budget. I think uh, there are a lot of legislators and a governor who are very relieved and, and very happy to have it behind us. But, you know, the two two big things that he's been talking about are the K-12 through education right. increases. and then the With re- $600 million in extra funding for K-12, through right? For K-12 through and then the reduction in, in property taxes through the elimination of the state property tax, through the elimination of the alternative minimum tax, and then also changes to the personal property tax. So those are really important, I think, for individuals and for businesses. And so those are really positive things that we can talk about. Um, I think one of the negatives, though, in going forward, because obviously we have we have some time here before the the, the um, cycle is over, is the tensions that were caused between the legislators, the Senate, and the, the, and the assembly right. for, for, with the Republicans, because there's a lot more work to be done here, and uh, you know the way that this budget, this process came about, I think was really a, a tough process, and especially at the very end with all of those vetoes. I think some of those were necessary. Some of them were. Oh no, there's bad feelings. There's, I mean, I mean, Robin Voss, clearly the leader of the assembly, who I was very critical of for hanging it up over the gas mm-hmm. tax. Um, he was critical at the end because then it got stuck in the state legislature. We had four state senators who were refusing to yeah. vote yes. Ultimately, you know, they, they ended up all but one senator voted well, yes. And I think we missed an opportunity to take on some bold tax reforms and also to really reform transportation. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. It, yeah. it might happen in other legislation. But for now, I think it, 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 it was a missed opportunity. Susie Falk. Yeah, you know, it's there are good things and there are bad things in in the bill. And um, you know, personally, I love the fact that tuition has been frozen at UW schools. I mean, I pay tuition right now, and I'm glad that it's not going up. Um, I love the expansion in the funding for K-12 schools. I do feel terrible though that he did uh, veto out uh, an increase in funding for the low spending schools. I think that was a big mistake, including where he signed. You know, he's he's in Nina's signing the bill at a school that's going to be impacted by that. Okay, not this year, but. Probably probably in the next two years. And so, you know, some of the increase in the school spending is earmarked for um, laptops, for electronics for kids. Why why can't that money go towards some of the low spending schools? Um, I think in general, is this in general, I think it's it's overall a good thing. I think the transportation question never was answered. And I think that I'm I'm sad about that they're not going to make progress on the Marquette interchange. You know, we've been talking about that for for months now. Right, it's, the, the it's expanding, and I know, Tracy, that's something, yeah, expanding well, the, the freeway between. I, I, okay, let, let's talk about the political reality. This is this is a budget that, that, that the governor's going to run on. When I had him on earlier this week, he mm-hmm. said that he was going to be announcing his plans. He's running for re-election. We know that. Sometime his birthday is November second. November sixth is the one. It's one year out from the election. He's running for re-election. I personally believe this is a very strong budget to run for re-election on. Increased funding for K one mm-hmm. for 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 you know for the elementary and secondary schools. Um, and again, tax reforms. Politically, is this a good budget? Oh, absolutely. Rural parts of the state love this this bill. Um, roads in rural parts of the state are going to be treated well or fixed, and we also see the the rollout of, of broadband in rural, rural parts of the state. There's a lot for you know people that aren't in Milwaukee to celebrate. Well, I think it's safe. 
I think safe is, is really the, the word that I would use. But also, here's, here's what I think about during the reelection cycle is what about the Democrats and the Republicans running across the state for reelection? And I, I think some of this tension might spill over. And depending how aggressive uh, the opponents want to be, I'm not saying that you're going to see a, a, a shift to the Democrats. I do not think that's going to happen. No. But some of the Republicans, I think, are going to have harsh, harsh words. Now, in, in what in what ways? Because I mean, because the budget was delayed by two months. But at the end of the day, nobody's going to care about that. That that's nobody's going to go and vote against their state representative or their mm-hmm. state senator mm-hmm. because gee, it took them an extra sixty days to get the budget done. Where where do you see the problem? Boiling I, down? I see some of the tensions. I mean, as you saw, some of the tensions uh, with the individual legislators who right. wanted to have further tax reform, or you know, some of the senators, frankly, who didn't want to vote for the budget in the first place. I think there's some strife there, and and whether it's with the governor or with the party leadership, you you might see some of that tension boil up. But you know, I guess time heals all wounds, and I guess if the party can pull together. Um, it will be fine, but uh, I think this is solid for Scott Walker. I don't even know why a Democrat is even trying to run. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 there you have it. Okay, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got our Right Stuff Awards coming up. It is 11.53. This is the Week in Review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. I always do you first, Susie, just because it's kind of the, the, the order <laughs> well, we have. Tracy Johnson, <laughs> Susie Falk. I'm Jeff Wagner. We're back. It's 11.53. It's 11.56, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is the Week in Review, and this is the time for our Right Stuff Awards, individuals, entities, institutions that deserve credit for doing the right thing. Susie Falk. You know, Craig Council, I'm giving him my Right Stuff Award. I know, Jeff, you were at the game last night. It was was. a heartbreaker. But you know what? The the fact that we're even hinting at a Major League Baseball playoff is a huge accomplishment when you think of how young the team is. He's been great great on the field. He's really handling the... the, um, the players well out there, so Craig Kelsey. Go Brewers. All right. Uh, my Right Stuff Award goes to BMO Harris Bank. Just this morning at the Business Journal Power Breakfast, their CEO, Dave Casper, announced, I think through a series of questions, um, that they would be a founding sponsor for the new Bucks Arena, which I, they're the second sponsor behind Johnson Controls. Um, but, but truthfully, when BMO came into this market, I think a lot of people were saying, ah, they're just going to be here for a little bit. They're going to pull out. But this is a statement. And with the BMO Harris Bradley Center coming down in just a few months, um, I think this is a great way to reinvest and reinvigorate in the community. And my winner this week, it's U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. I, I don't know whether or not health care reform is dead or not, but Ron Johnson is one of the leaders of this effort to try to figure out a way to reform and replace Obamacare. His plan involves turning stuff back over to the state. I think you can make a very strong argument that for people in Wisconsin, the health care system was a lot better for almost everybody before Obamacare than after Obamacare. And if we can get back to something like that, we will all be better off. That's what Ron Johnson is pushing for, and he wins my Right Stuff Award. Okay, we are just about out of time. Ladies, thank you both very much. As always, I appreciate it. 